Welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. Um, marriage is not for that. Okay? Although sex is a proper, or marriage is a proper context for sex in the biblical worldview, you do not get married in order to have sex. Um, that's not a great reason to get married. What Paul is saying here is what he's done is, is he's talking in the context of marriage. Remember, the Corinthians have equated holiness with celibacy. Not just for singles, but also for those who are married. So they've said, well, I'm not going to have I'm not going to have sex with my wife anymore. Well, I'm not going to have sex with my husband anymore. And we're going to live celibate lives in our marriage. And he's like, no, 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 no. He says, you're going to be, you're going to be tempted to sexual immorality. And so each man, each husband, should have his own wife. Meaning, he should have sex with his own wife. And each woman should have her own husband. Should be having sex with her own husband. Remember what Paul has dealt with in the Corinthian church here. He's, always, he's already talked about different instances of sexual immorality. One guy sleeping with his father's wife, his stepmother, um, and, and then uh, other people in the church sleeping with temple prostitutes. And he's, he's making a connection here and he's saying, look, if you guys had a healthy sexual relationship in your marriage, you wouldn't be doing this other stuff. You wouldn't have to go sleep with your stepmother. And, you be, and your stepmother wouldn't feel like she has to have sex with you. And um, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be sleeping with temple prostitutes. That wouldn't be happening, he's, he's saying. And, and he's saying if it thrives in, your, in marriage, then it's going to take care of a lot of, these, a lot of these issues. So sex is a gift from God for marriage. There's a couple things there. One, sex is a gift. God has given it in the context of marriage. Um, it's from God, and it's for marriage. He's saying that if, if it's going to thrive, it's going to thrive in the marital relationship. Okay? So as we go through the next few, what I really want to do for you is start to transform your understanding of marriage. Start to shape it a little bit. Start to take... take your, your background on marriage from how you saw your parents live it out or your friends or uh, culture and start to shape it in the biblical sense and to give you a biblical understanding of what marriage is and what marriage is for. So let's go to the third one. It says, The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. Marriage is a commitment to each other's well-being. So Paul is specifically talking about sex here. But we see here a uniquely Christian biblical perspective on marriage. This is, this is wholly unique in Paul's day. 
And even, even in most of the world today, it's, it's entirely unique. That the husband and the wife have equal rights in marriage. It doesn't, Paul doesn't just say the husband should give his wife her conjugal rights and stop there, or vice versa. He says, nope, the husband gives his wife and the, hus- and the wife gives her husband. And he addresses both, both parties there. And he's saying that marriage is a commitment to each other, to each other's well-being. That marriage works in this way when the husband gives himself over to the wife. Your body is not your own, he says. And the wife gives herself over to the husband. And he says this in the next verse. Um, have you ever committed to something halfway and you made it through that thing but you knew if you committed fully it would have been way better this is this is the picture of marriage like marriage can't be a half commitment it has to be a full on commitment I am um, I went to three different high schools and my family moved around growing up and uh, high school was horrible. It was, I mean, three different high schools, right? It, it was just, it was, it was the worst. And I wasn't, very com- I, w- I wasn't very committed to anything in high school. I mean, sports, girls, academics. Um, I was okay at academics, but I wasn't very committed. Um, I wasn't good with the ladies. I wasn't, uh, I was like 5'2 in high school and tiny. Like as a fourth year in high school, I was 5'2. Um, like I grew, I grew um, in between. So I'm like 6 or 6'1 now. Um, can you imagine? Like I grew 6 inches in like 3 months, something like that. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, veggies. I guess I don't know, um, and uh, and so sports, like that wasn't my thing. And so, I, if any of those three was going to be my thing, girls, sports, and academics, it should have been academics. But I didn't really care. I was like, oh yeah, she had good grades. Yeah, the expectation was to go to university, but um, I was like, well, I just need to do enough to get by, right? So, uh, but I was a pretty good student. Just wasn't very committed to it. Um, and so when I graduated, I applied to some schools, but like I said, we'd moved around so much, I didn't even know where I wanted to go, if I wanted to stay where we just moved, or go back to where we moved from, or I didn't know. So I ended up applying to the, applying to the local university in North Carolina, and uh, just thinking, well, that's a good backup plan, and I'll, I'll get in, I guess. But I didn't get in right away, I got put on a waiting list because they had so many applicants. And I had waited to apply so late. So I took a gap year, kind of a forced gap year. And because I was like, well, if I didn't get in there, I'm just not going to apply anywhere else. I'll just wait till next year and then go there. Um, So I just worked, had fun. It was very like, a lot of you guys, when I was, when I was your age, you're way more directed than I was. I was just like, eh. I went to the beach all the time and worked and just had fun. I didn't, I didn't do much. Um, but something happened towards the end of that gap year 
into my first semester of university. So I start university, and I was just like, man, I, I should really commit to my education. I should really commit to doing really well in school and setting my life up for success. That's how I viewed it. And so I did. Um, and in, at the end of my first semester, I got offered a full-ride academic scholarship to the university that I was at, which is crazy. Um, but it was because of full commitment. I just fully put myself in it, and then the rest of my school was paid for. Um, and beforehand, I was just like, eh, moseying around. I made it through high school. I made it through that first, uh, you know, everything. But then I was like, you know, when I was going to fully commit, everything changed. Everything. Like, in my 20s, I actually made a career out of going to school. I got two more degrees where I got paid to go to school. Like, no debt. I actually got living expenses for going to school, plus tuition, plus books, plus all that stuff, because I fully committed to, to school, to education. Like, I was, like, if I look back on my life, the best thing in my life that I'm good at, that statement made no sense, but, like, did you go to school? <laughs> the, it was school. It was just memorizing things and regurgitating them on a test. Um, yeah, that's like my one, my, my one good quality. So, uh, which, is why, which is why I can preach without notes, because I just memorize it and then I regurgitate it, and then I forget it right after this. So, <laughs> that isn't what you should do, though. You should remember all this. <laughs> so, um, school became like this. Like I was in school till I was 29. I went through so many degrees, and <clears throat> and like I said, I probably made more money going to school than I did in my part-time job. Um, so, but that's the difference in marriage, and this is why something like cohabitation is a myth. This is why it's just a shadow of a, of a substance, because it's not a full, real commitment to, a, to the relationship. But marriage is this relationship that when you commit, it actually thrives. And when you're fully committed to the other's well-being, and they're fully committed to your well-being, something magical happens, something spiritual happens, something amazing happens. And that's, and that's marriage for us. So let's, let's go through the next, the next few. Um, yeah, so 1 Corinthians 7, for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, the wife does. Again, we see equality here. And, and it doesn't say that the husband has the authority or the wife has all the authority. We see here equal rights in the sexual relationship. And Paul here is saying basically self is sacrificial or sex is sacrificial. It's not selfish. And... And in the sexual relationship, in the context of marriage, there's no reason to withhold that from the other. A lot of husbands are like, see, I told you, wife. Like, there's no reason. No, it's because you're committed to each other's well-being. And it's because it's, it's sacrificial. You're sacrificing yourself. It's not selfish. This, and this is why sexual compatibility is also a myth. Because when you're sacrificing yourself for the other, you're gonna, compatibility is gonna work, its, work itself out. And you're not gonna have to worry about compatibility. That's a, that's a selfish construct of our culture. Let's go to the next one. 
Marriage makes you partners in holiness. Paul says, do not deprive one another except perhaps by agreement for a limited time. So there's a reason here that you may devote yourselves to prayer and a second reason and then come together again for renewed intimacy. So this limited time basically means quality time. It's a specific devoted time. He says, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Something I talk about, and I could preach probably a whole series or, or message on how marriage makes you partners in holiness. If you've done premarital counseling with me, um, it's all about this. How you guys are partners in holiness. You're pushing each other towards the Father. You're showing each other the Father's love. You're, the husband, you're, your sole concern is to push your wife close to the Father because you love Jesus more than anything. The wife is doing the same thing to her husband because she loves Jesus more than anything and, and she's pushing her husband towards the Father. When that happens, sin is revealed, not in a condemnatory or judgmental way, but in a upbuilding, edifying way. Um, your strengths come to the surface. Marriage is this dynamic, beautiful, grand relationship that reflects the Father's love for us. And that leads me to the last point. And this isn't from the text, but I have to say this about marriage, that it's a picture of the gospel. Remember, the sanctity of marriage is directly proportional to the sanctity of the gospel. It's so important. Remember my first statement. Marriage isn't intrinsically better. Paul doesn't say individually, he's not going to come to you and I'm not going to say to you, you need to get married or you don't need to get married. That's between you and the Lord whether you remain celibate as a follower of Jesus or you get married as a follower of Jesus. One, one state of living is not intrinsically better, but marriage shows this beautiful picture of the gospel. And just a, a teaser for, for the singleness um, celibacy sermon, that does as well. You're never going to be fulfilled in your singleness. You're never going to be fulfilled in your marriage. It's only there to point you to the one you're going to be fulfilled in. And that's Jesus. But the Bible begins with a marriage. A marriage at the very beginning of the Bible between Adam and Eve. And this intimate relationship, this, this mystery as Paul calls it. He calls it a profound mystery. Then in Genesis 2:24, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife or join with his wife and the two shall become one. The two shall become one flesh. He says this, this profound mystery and what we see is this mystery gets developed all through the scriptures. So we could actually trace marriage just like we trace Jesus. We could trace the theme of marriage throughout the entire scriptures all the way to the end because guess what the Bible ends with a marriage too it ends with the marriage between Christ and his bride between Christ and his church and between Christ who is pure and perfect and holy and blameless and a people who are just prostituting themselves. Us who are sullied and dirty and filthy and say we want Jesus one moment and say we don't the next and we love Jesus one moment and we hate him the next and uh, are people who, 
who praised Jesus when he, he came into Jerusalem and then killed him through, you know, five days later on the cross. We're that people that now who follow Jesus, we're his bride who is pure and holy and blameless. And we see here throughout the scriptures even the degradation of earthly marriage. That it's not the ideal. It's pointing us to the ideal. And when we remove sex and take it outside the confines of marriage, it also degrades marriage and it degrades singleness and it distorts our perception of, of what marriage is and, it's, and what it's meant to be. And it's always meant to point to Jesus. It's always meant to point to the sanctity of the gospel. And that's why whether you are single or you are married today, or divorced or separated or whatever, that that truth is so crucial for you to uphold in your life. Because when people see you as a follower of Jesus, they see the gospel. And your life is a representation of the beauty and the sanctity of that gospel, whether you're married or not married. Because all of us, as the Bible develops over thousands and thousands of years, are married to Jesus. Remember, we're one in spirit and body with Jesus. We're his members, we're his church. The Bible is a love story where God says, I loved you and I lost you and I'm trying to get you back. And he sacrificed himself for us to do, to do it. He was only concerned about our well-being to do it, to bring us back to him. And so whereas marriage may not be intrinsically better, there's something so special and unique about the marital relationship that us as Christians need to uphold in our society for the sake of the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. And we get to do that whether we're married or not married. And we get to point to Jesus through our marriage to him. Because we are his bride and he is our groom gave himself up for us. How beautiful is that? It's so beautiful, so glorious. So let's thank Jesus for his sacrifice. Father, thank you. Thank you that you loved us in this way. Thank you that anything we do on, on marriage here in, in this in this life it's just a shadow of the substance to come because our marriages aren't perfect our marriages are difficult our marriages are tough we've seen so many broken marriages Jesus, your marriage with the church will never be severed. It is forever together. We are one with you in spirit and in body. 
And this is why our earthly marriages are so profound, because they reflect this mystery. And this is why we can read a scripture in the Bible that says, you hate divorce, and, and understand why. Because it was supposed to represent your undying, forever unending, always pursuing love for us. And we ruin that in our own selfishness. So Father, make us a people that just desires to reflect you and give ourselves wholly over to you above all else. So that we can preserve the sanctity of the gospel. So that we can show this world the good news. That you're not a God who is angry and is wanting to punish us. You've always been a God who is loving and wants to pursue us. So we thank you, Jesus, for sacrificing yourself for us. And thank you for making it possible that we can just freely accept that gift from you. We love you, Jesus. We pray this in your name. Amen. more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.